Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Welcome back to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 26, entitled Tiny Bubbles, where we'll be taking you back to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, one of the best attractions ever to uh, be located at the Magic Kingdom. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and with me, as always, is Brian P. Miles. Greetings from the city of brotherly love. How's it going, Brian? I'm doing really well, Todd. How are you? Good, good. JT Kuzier from Ohio. Hello, hello. How we doing? Good. Good year, city. Close by. <laughs> Speed round. <laughs> rubber, rubber capital of the world. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Howe Bowers. Aloha, everyone. How's it going, Howe? the city of Atlantis. Atlantis. Nice. That's right. We're going to be descending tonight to, to Atlantis. Right. And from and from all of us, a belated Happy New Year to everyone. That's right. This is our first episode in 2017. And uh, it feels like a while since we've recorded it's only been about a month but boy it feels feels like it's been so a much has happened that has a lot of it has happened so so as we mentioned earlier we're going to be going into uh 20, leagues under the sea a submarine voyage uh we're going to be going over that a little bit later and um as always we get into corrections and comments and listener mail first so um jt uh you've got uh, a bunch of listener mail came in uh what do you what do you got this month well, uh, a lot of good stuff, and I feel like it's been a while because we. When was our last episode? Like mid December? Yeah, late mid late December. Yeah, I feel like it's been longer since we've last met. But um, I actually got a legitimate like I have a real letter mailed to us, and you know we say the mailbag, but this was actually it's you actually had to go out and move this one. <laughs> yeah, this is one I actually was able to touch. So this says. Uh, Hello, Retro Disney World podcast host. Longtime listener here, first time commenter. Uh, his comments deal mostly with episode 24, the golf resort. Uh, he believes he heard one of the hosts mention the original golf resort logo was a D with a putter inside, and when it was referencing the driver in the logo. Also, there was no coverage of the Oak Trail Golf Course, which is located near the original two golf courses at the golf resort Disney Inn, Shades of Green. So we had the putter driver confused. Gotcha. Um, so he gave us some info about the Oak Trail. It was a six-hole cor- six course called Wee Links, opened in 1980. Uh, it actually was synthetic turf. And then in 1991, it was expanded to nine holes, and the name was changed. So um, so that's going on with Oak Trail. And Eagle Pines and Osby Ridge courses opened in 1992, giving the Disney World Resort 99 holes of golf. That was their big advertisement in the 90s. JT, that, that's, that's one happy haunt for each hole. It, exactly. 
and then so there were announced plans for a second golf resort. The Disney Vacation Club and Resort at Eagle Pines was announced in 2001, but was postponed indefinitely after September 11th. 2001 so like many things that kind of put a hold on that and it's probably indefinitely i don't know about you guys but i think that's probably gone well that's where they developed the four seasons property right exactly yeah with the demolition of that yeah but they're probably they've got what they need golf course wise so um you know he put thanks for a great product and looks forward to listening for years to come and thank you rob hinkle for your legitimate letter yeah actual physical letter I know, well, we don't get those very much. We don't. Thank you very much for writing in, Rob. Appreciate Thank you, Rob. it. And what else we got, JT? Um, you know, I pulled some random ones out, and I thought this one was interesting, seeing we were just kind of there. This is from Chris in Sarasota, Florida. He said, uh, first off, he loves the podcast. It might be his favorite out there, but I don't like that might. He said it might be his favorite. So, <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to – he's now on Well, his show, other favorites so, yeah. are when we appear on other people's podcasts. Yeah. Oh, good point. <laughs> good point. Um, he would love to hear a show covering the util doors and backstage areas. And he brought up, he came across a recent atlas on eBay and it shows a new area of tunnel near the hub that is not on past maps and blueprints. He's wondering if this was added during the hub rehab or was hidden. Um, you know, and, and we were just down there on that, uh, keys mm-hmm. of the kingdom tour. I didn't really, you know, there was maps everywhere and stuff, but I don't know. I personally don't know what he's referencing and, but I don't know if you guys do. Well, we, yeah, you and I went through the, the whole map system. Uh, we worked through a portion of the Utilidors. We looked at the, you know we looked at the map as you said when we were down there. Um, I don't think anything was actually dug during the you know the the modification of the uh, uh, hub hub. Thank you, uh, modification of the hub or anything like that. Um, I'm just gonna you know without doing any further research and we haven't done that yet i'm, I'm going to assume that this is probably just something that was left off the map i mean you and i walked the main corridor and there was nothing down there um that potentially showed any type of construction or, or anything new so um you know my i'm just suspect it's just something that was uh, just left off and uh you know not not on earlier earlier maps or any references sure sure no i was uh, yeah i thought it was interesting you know just uh little utilidor question um you know and that's that's that is pretty much retro it's been there forever so yep. that definitely meets the criteria so we could possibly do a show on it someday but thank you for your your email all right so uh next one was a letter from mr cameron donlin uh he says he doesn't know if uh the others had found the corrugated wall it took him a while but they found it him and his uh significant other there they uh sent us a little snap in front of the corrugated wall and we were just discussing kind of backstage on the show if that's the original color on the corrugated wall which we're going to do some digging on right yeah we're going to get an x-ray machine now kind of like what they do with old paintings like the mona lisa oh yeah like sandblast no 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 we're not (laughs) we know how you blast the layers off on a car yeah, we're, we can take different yeah. X-ray levels to see what's behind Sand it. There could be a mural, you know. Yeah, that's where they it, found out that Leonardo da Vinci reused uh, canvases. Yeah, canvases. Though. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So we'll we'll get on that. That's you know. Or I'll tell you what. If you can risk it, go up there with a little chisel and <laughs> chunk off a piece of it and mail it to us. We'll, we'll put yeah. it under the the yeah. uh, electron scanning microscope <laughs> and do some uh, paint analysis. It could be lead under there. Just be careful. So I'm yeah. going to use Landsat photography. There we go. Oh. Look at that. So Cameron, so. thank you, and uh, that was a great shot. Anybody else has corrugated wall photos? Uh, yes, yeah, send them luck. Out. You got to find it. So, yep. 
Um, next one was from Joey Gibson. He said, hey guys, uh, love the show and always happy to see a new episode when it appears on his phone. I was wondering if you could provide links to the source for the music and audio that make up your opening title music. Some snippets that you use make you want to hear the rest of it. Um, and you guys have talked about in the past yeah. where all this came from. but Exactly. There is a lot of it. It's um, uh, Josh over at E82. Uh, was the one who put that together. <clears throat> Here's the kind of list of where he got all this stuff from. Um, there's a main entrance medley fanfare that was uh, from, from the early 70s. There's a piece from the magic of Walt Disney World. Um, there's a piece from the grand opening of Walt Disney World. If you had wings, the terminal and speed room we used, as well as the RCA speed ramp from Space Mountain, part of the Mickey Mouse review f- finale, Donald's 50th birthday theme, and uh, we've just begun to dream various versions of that. And then obviously you also hear uh, some of the main entrance theme from um, from Epcot and uh, another, uh, which is actually part of we've just begun to dream and some other things. Uh, and then it was overlaid with um, some information from Walt saying about Epcot uh, directly from the, the, the Epcot film that he put together uh, just prior to his passing. So uh, that's uh, if you go research those, um, that's put it all together. You'll hear all the different parts of that in those individual clips so joey thanks for writing in i appreciate that's a great question we've never even discussed that over the course of over two years so thanks for the thanks for writing in. yeah very good question yeah it's because i you just blew my mind i didn't even know all that existed on there so (laughs) so it's time to literally we got to wrap up the mailbag because you got to put rob's back in the mailbag with all the other virtual mail and uh jt tell them where they where they can write in and find us yeah, uh, we are still at this year, uh, 2017, same address, same place, podcast at RetroWDW.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us, uh, you know, direct message on any of the social medias. We will get it, and it has the potential to make it to the show. Yep, and if you're savvy enough to track down our actual mailing address, send us email, send us actual snail mail as well. Yeah, it, bonus points if it comes from the box in the Magic Kingdom. That's right. It's that time of the episode for the Audio Rewind. Now, last month, we gave away the huge prize pot, and um, Wes Hansen was the winner. And uh, he left us a a voicemail uh, after his package arrived in in Indiana, and uh, here's what he had to say. Hi, everyone. Uh, This is Wes Hansen, the winner of the big prize pot this past year, calling from Muncie, Muncie, Indiana, beautiful Muncie, Indiana. But anyhow, just wanted to thank you guys so much. Uh, I got the box shortly before I went home for for about a week and a half for Christmas, but love everything in it. Probably the highlight of the box. I'm really looking forward to using this Walt Disney World Explorer if I could get it to work because I had it when I was when I was little, and so I'm really excited to have this again. And probably the other true highlight I would say in everything was amazing. I would have to say that guide to Tomorrowland in the early days for whatever reason. Out of all the stuff. Uh, that that was pretty amazing. So anyhow, just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone and their hard work. Love the podcast. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. So but anyhow, keep up the great work. Uh, hoping to hear maybe something about the Country Bear Jamboree or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in the future. So hint, hint, uh, that squid terrified me, I suppose. But anyhow, once again, thank you guys so much for everything you do. And, yeah, just keep up the great work. Okay, thanks. Bye. Well, congratulations again, Wes. Uh, I'm glad you were able to, to win that prize pot. And uh, before we get into this month's Audio Rewind, let's explain how uh, the big prize pot is going to work this year. We're actually going to give away 
two big prize pots. We're going to give a summer gift away, and we're going to give a uh, winter uh, prize pot gift away. So um, that's how we're going to do it. Now, as always, we're going to give away our, our monthly prize, a monthly uh, item for, for choosing the correct audio rewind. So before we get into those details, see if you can identify this month's audio rewind puzzler. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler, send your guesses to podcast at retrowdw.com. All entries should be received by February 12th, 2017. And uh, all winning and correct entries will be entered into a drawing to see who wins this month's prize. And this month's prize is a pack of Retro WDW pins. So it's a complete set of all three of our pins. Uh, there's not many of the Lake and Lagoon pin left, so we're going to make sure you get some of those uh, in the prize pack. And um, all entries, no matter if you win or not, will be entered into the summer prize pot. We have the first item. Now, JT, are you going to be writing these down again like like last year? Uh, You you know, I will. I'm going to start a new piece of paper. Yeah, get a new piece of paper. It's right here. Get an an envelope of junk mail and just write on the back. Yep. (laughs) It's on an old cell phone bill here. There we go. (laughs) All right, so the first item in, in, in the summer prize pot is a Walt Disney at the World's Fair CD set, which is a, a great set. All the different music and different things that went on at the World's Fair um, from the perspective of Walt Disney. Great great set. So that's the first item. Yeah, I, ha- I, ha- I have that box set, and it's, uh, it's, yeah, four, you do. it's four CDs or maybe five uh, that has uh, all the audio from the Skyway to Tomorrowland, the thing oh, that, cool. that Ford ford did and the yeah yeah the, the carousel of progress and all the others you know abe lincoln great moments with mr lincoln all that stuff that ran at the world's fair so it's, it's i can't believe you're giving that away it's so good yeah yeah todd great that you yeah. have that in your uh, stockpile that's right yep that's got what's, that's got a big retail value doesn't it, it it's 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 up there so Jeez. This, this is gonna be a nice prize spot come come uh june yeah for sure the summer prize so the first item in the summer prize pot exactly so again even if your guess is wrong you'll be entered uh you'll get an entry into the drawing for the big prize pot and um check with us back next month to see if you won this month's audio rewind and again send your entries to podcast at retro wdw.com all right well it's time that we moved on to our main topic uh in this episode we're going to go in real deep dive to 20,000 leagues under the sea that's right voyage. we're gonna yep. get under the surface of many of the details yeah we're not gonna water this down though by any oh, means, no, no, no. no matter what no matter what weeds. what's that i said no 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 we're gonna get into the weeds that's right and you know our listeners they can't fathom how good this episode is going to be it you know it sounds a bit fishy if you ask me i mean i've got a sinking feeling about this now if i cave in what happens we'll get a sub to replace you All right, well, with that little banter out of the way, we thank uh, Marty and Matt. They were tweeting at us and giving us a whole bunch of puns about this episode. And, and we, and we apologize it. to all of you listeners. Well, we <laughs> thought it was funny, so we had, we had to put it together. So, But we do have some serious stuff to go through. Um, how we're going to be going, you'll be taking us <clears throat> back to actually Submarine Voyage, uh, the original Submarine Voyage, and how that begot 20,000 Leagues in the Sea. We're going to talk about a little about what the ride was like, the building and construction of it, the eventual demise 
this was one of my personal attractions. I've got some uh, personal favorite attractions. I've got some stories about it. Um, and this is this is an episode that I've I've certainly been waiting for. So, uh, how I think we have to roll back the clocks to the late 1950s to really appreciate where this ride and attraction came from. That's right, because there there is an an actual tie in this to to Disneyland. Um, and we're gonna try to bust some myths while we're nope. while we're at this too. So, like it. Um, yeah. So, if, if you've seen pictures of the old today uh, out in Disneyland, it's the Finding Nemo attraction. So you've seen pictures that these bright yellow submarines. Well, when it started out before, they were sort of like a dark gray, and, and a lot of people think that that was a uh, that was because they were trying to pay homage to the uh, to the nuclear fleet uh, breaking the polar ice cap, uh, which did happen in the 1950s. But actually, it's not exactly what happened. So, so let's roll back to July 23rd of 1958. Uh, that's really where all this starts, as far as we can tell, when Walt wrote a memo to wet employees uh, assigning uh, them to the project. Um, what we know uh, is that the, the ride is actually loosely based on passages from Jules Verne 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea novel. Uh, so if you ever look at, at uh, old videos of, uh, of that ride and also the, uh, the Walt Disney World attraction, it has things like sunken gall galleons filled with treasure that they're pulling treasure out of. That's that's a section that's actually lifted right out of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, going, they went underneath the southern polar ice caps in that book. Uh, they visited Atlantis. They saw all kinds of species of, of deep fish. They had encounters, of course, with like squids. And, and that was all in the original ride. Um, now, the confusion over whether it was a... Uh, a military thing or not a military thing is is on this date. So so Walt kicks off the project on July twenty third, fifty eight. Uh, coincidentally, on that very day, uh, the Nautilus, the real Nautilus that belonged to the Navy, left Pearl Harbor on a top secret mission to cross underneath the North Pole. So Disney would would have had no idea uh, that that was going on. And also, uh, at this point in the ride's history, Walt was still trying to find a sponsor for the ride, according to uh, Paul Anderson at the Disney History Institute. So, uh, so the project kicks off on the same day that uh, that the ship leaves to, to go on a top-secret mission. Uh, it actually crosses the North Pole on August 3rd, uh, and it's announced uh, at the White House at a ceremony on August 8th. So... Development has already kicked off and it's well underway while all of this is happening that's in history. Now, the reason that that was a big deal was because there was, you may have heard of a little thing called Sputnik. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, United States had tried very hard to try to, uh, to launch a rocket. Uh, it was a Titanic failure. Um, we had a lot of problems with stuff blowing up. We, we couldn't keep up with the Russians for in satellite technology. So they focused on submarine technology in the nuclear subfleet, which was which was a real big deal and actually showed our superiority. So, um, so while still trying to shop out, uh, shop out someone to to sponsor the ride, in early 1959, General Dynamics, who actually built those nuclear submarines for the U.S., uh, started to become interested in sponsoring the attraction. Uh, they had a their, another submarine in, in the fleet called the Skate, which was preparing to surface at the North Pole. So they decided if they were going to do some kind of attraction with, with Disney, they would want some sort of North Pole Arctic Circle kind of mentioned in there. So oddly enough, I think they just switched the novel's South Pole to the North Pole, 
and then all of a sudden, bam, it, it works with general dynamics. But uh, the reason, it, to me, it's ludicrous saying that this was based on that uh, that ride because, you know, they obviously didn't see sea serpents and mermaids and things when they were in a nuclear submarine. Uh, that was just kind of thrown in to make it work. And um, ultimately, General Dynamics ended up only um, sponsoring the ride for a couple of years, and, and then they pulled out probably because it was it was just so silly. So, um, but what that does does do is set up us nicely um, for Walt Disney World. Uh, and, and there was also some thought that uh, that in the early versions, it's like they were thinking maybe at Disneyland they would do more of a straight adaptation of. Uh, of a 20k style sub uh there which makes sense with the storyline that they used but they ended up flipping it to the uh to the more uh nuclear normal looking sub um because of the sponsorship because of course like everything back then Walt would just take money from whoever would give it to him because they really needed it <laughs> and and for those who've seen maybe more recent pictures those subs uh as as how pointed out were in a, a painted originally in a drab gray color um, they've since been with the Nemo, and, and actually, before even before Nemo, though they were painted a bright yellow, yellow color, like a research That's right. vessel. I think in the '90s that happened. Yeah, yeah, a little more friendly. Cold War was over. Let's let's just lighten it up and do more of research. I don't recall if the spiel changed, but hey, that's not what our show's about tonight. So yeah, yeah, it it did. <laughs> from what I can tell, it, it it definitely changed a couple of times. Uh, I assume it changed sometime between the the 1950s and then uh, there's a version of the spiel that's on the Disneyland uh, box set. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wish I did know exactly what that date was because it's very interesting because that actually has a lot of elements from uh, from the 20K ride in Florida. Interesting. So I'm thinking that that, might have, that version may have happened after 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in Florida, but... Uh, but I'm not sure. But there's even some strange versions. Uh, I ran across a version of that ride on YouTube where, have you ever heard those records from the 1950s where the disc jockey would ask a question and they would play a song? Oh yeah, as yeah. like an answer to like the novelty thing. Yeah. Apparently, for some point in the either late 80s or 90s, they actually did that on the submarine ride, and it's horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. So. Um, so yeah, they've they've gone through some changes there. So, <laughs> Just a few. Uh, so catching up to the Magic Kingdom, uh, when it came time to, to go to the to the Magic Kingdom, they shifted uh, the ride out of Tomorrowland, which I think was probably the other reason that it, that they decided not to go with that you know steampunk Harper Goff look, uh, and into Fantasyland. And, and once they got into Fantasyland, that meant that the full Jules Verne theme could be used, uh, and and we got the subs uh, that looked very much like the movie. Yeah, um, Claude Coates was most likely the primary designer of the attraction, uh, as he was also in charge of the Disneyland version. Um, Tony Baxter was working in the model shop at that time when he was his apprentice. So, so we know that uh, that Tony was at least initially involved in a, in a cursory way, uh, and became very involved uh, later on in 1975. Um, George McGinnis, a name that is probably familiar to people here, uh, as he designed uh, Horizons and many other attractions and, and forms of transportation uh, at Walt Disney World, uh, he was actually the person that adopted Harper Goff's uh, film Nautilus style uh, for use as the theme park transportation. Uh, all of that was constructed in Florida. So uh, 
Part of it was done at a place called Morgan Yacht in Largo, Florida, only about 20 minutes from me. So I got to go go there someday and see if I can uh, discover anything about the facility. Uh, they were contracted to construct the body of the subs because they had a lot of experience building fiberglass boats. Uh, they did racing boats and yachts and, and stuff like that. Uh, that was still a relatively novel boat building method at the time, uh, and they were sort of the experts at that. So, yeah. so they got that job. And we should let people um, know that these, <clears throat> while we're t- talking about them as submarines, they really were very deep bottom hold boats. You know, as we'll talk yeah. about the track later on, that nothing ever went under. So you people weren't kind of describe to... them as like buses almost. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, bus boats, right? Boat buses. Yeah. Um, so they really were were boats more than they were were submarines it's just that you were viewing below the water level down in the right. hole yes if you actually looked up you could always see the water line <laughs> above you and the the fantasy was kind of immediately broken yeah look we'll at I, I i i got some yeah about that, yeah it looks always just just look straight ahead just straight, yeah. <laughs> um morgan yacht also built uh, a bunch of other uh ships for disney probably about 100 and over 100 in total uh they also built the original jungle cruise ships and the small world boats amongst other things uh, then the electrical motor and finishing work was done by Tampa Ship Repair and Dry Dock Company, uh, which later became known as Tampa Shipyards after his pers- uh, purchase by George Steinbrenner's American Ship Company in 1972. So in a lot of things, you'll you'll see it listed as Tampa Shipyards, yeah. but it actually started out as this this other company uh, during the time of the build. Now you mentioned electrical, but the the main propulsion was still was diesel. Right? It was I, actually so it was diesel that was converted into electric, and then the okay. electric ran the motor. So uh, it was diesel electric, just like trains, diesel electric trains, or, or, or anything like that. Yes, and actually, initially, it was um, compressed natural gas. Oh, uh, really? Disney, yeah, Disney at the time, as you saw from a lot of stuff in the Vacation Kingdom, they were very interested in clean energy and new technologies sure. and trying to make things as good as possible. So. Uh, so the ships initially were set up, uh, much like the Jungle Cruise ships also run on natural gas, were, uh, were run on this compressed natural gas. And it, and it wasn't until the mid-70s when those got switched over to diesel. Um, uh, and then uh, probably everybody's favorite Imagineer, Bob Gurr, was sent to Florida to supervise the completion of the subs. And he, and he tells a lot of stories in his books and articles about problems with constructions, about how revised plans would continually arrive and... They wouldn't match up with each other where there'd be like an electrical line that started at the front of the sub. And by the time you got to the plans of the back of the sub, it would be completely different. There'd be something that started at like 14 volts and ended up 110 on the back end. Um, <laughs> Oops. They would get, uh, they would have some parts never show up. They would have other parts show up that didn't seem to go anywhere in the subs because <laughs> there weren't any, weren't in the plans anywhere. Um they had problems with the fiberglass panels that Morgan uh, that Morgan Yacht made not fitting into the interior uh, because the the tolerances on the interior weren't quite as tight as as they would have wanted to. So they actually spent time apparently with hacksaws just trying to like hack it all together wow. and make it look good. Uh, and he actually taught himself electrical engineering one weekend <laughs> so he could do the wiring <laughs> of the subs himself. Uh, because the guy that that ran the uh, the shipyard was like, okay, we're putting this wire in on Monday. So do it or not. So he, he bought a book at a, like a 7-Eleven on basic electrical engineering and taught himself that over the weekend, which that's is impressive. Fascinating. That's impressive. Um, so the first the first complete sub left uh, left the shipyards in Tampa on August 13th, uh, 1971 and arrived at Walt Disney World the same day. And if uh, you are any 
di- retro Disney fan, you have had to have seen the picture of the sub going through like downtown Tampa, Orlando. I forget <laughs> yeah. where it was. I mean, that's the most probably the most famous photo. Yeah, reconstruction being, photo off site. Yeah, yeah, of it's it, actually, of it being transported. Uh, if I could, I I look this up every so often and forget. I think it's actually Bartow. Is that where it is? Uh, yeah, we a lot of people uh, mistook that for like Ybor City in Tampa, mm-hmm. but but I believe we actually uh, tracked it down to Bartow, and that there's a sign that shows the highway number. I think it's 39 or something. Yeah, and the you can go to a Google Street View, and that sign is still there. But there exactly we go. Can we get somebody to go there? Stand stand on that corner. Take a picture where that famous submarine photo was taken. It's, so it's out there. That, that actual photo is out there somewhere. We'll have to see yeah. if we can find that from somewhere. I, I know one of our listeners will be able to send it to us. So. Exactly. Well, now, how you've got a weekend activity with the wife and yeah, kids. Yeah, you can drive down there. There you go. Yeah, find come the... on, kids. Let's, let's hop in the car and go see to if you can See if you can do it before a listener does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, now, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think when we had... Uh, we had on Randy or we had on uh, Orton or, or somebody that talked about why it took longer to fill the uh, the sub lagoon than they had originally anticipated. Oh, that- right. Because it was uh, it was fed. Well, it was originally. Let's see if I can roll back. here. Was it originally? It was salt water originally. It was spring fed. Spring fed. That's what so, well, that's right. Yeah. It was spring fed. <clears throat> that's right. It wasn't it wasn't. Uh, it was spring-fed, and that's what they filled it up with. And eventually, they had problems with that, and they had to go to the chlorination yeah, system. Cl- was... I think it was with algae and stuff, wasn't it? Was the... right, right. Yeah. So yeah. later on, um, the, because everybody, if you don't know, a lot of the waterways, or almost all the waterways, originally in the Magic Kingdom were all connected, and and the water that fl- basically flowed from the back of the Magic Kingdom through all the different waterways, and eventually out uh, into into Seven Seas Lagoon, uh, and that was. I would imagine at the time that's probably one of the things that where that water flowed to as well. Yeah, so we heard, I think we had heard in in something or, or read somewhere that supposedly they had trucked like uh, like tankers of water or something to fill up the Seven Seas Lagoon. Well, I read something recently said that they just dynamited it until it hit the Florida Aquifer, <laughs> and then. <laughs> The water came rushing in, and uh, apparently it was the same thing with with 20k. So the water from the aquifer, they hit the aquifer. The water would fill up the lagoon, and then it would just kind of spill out and over into somewhere else. So it, it was self-contained. Um, but as you said, uh, one of the things that they couldn't they didn't account for was that algae would grow in it. Uh, so eventually they had to they had to start chlorinating the aquifer water. And then finally, in '75, they did a large rehab where, amongst other things, they uh, they actually closed it off and made it a closed system. Basically, turned it into a giant swimming pool. Yeah. Right. Now let's so. talk about the since since we're under the, the the you're talking a little bit about the building here and everything. The the footprint of this thing, if you weren't there or you if you haven't looked at, it was massive. The building alone that housed part of the attraction was 324 feet long by and at its widest point was 212 feet i mean that's massive the whole entire site uh i i, I uh, used google maps and, and got the area 3.4 acres now for comparison the little mermaid entire attraction takes up 1.34 and the building there is about 200 by 117 feet um the lagoon alone was 420 feet by 200 feet and the loading dock which we'll talk about in a little bit, was 130 feet. I mean, this, I, other than the Horizons building as one of the other most massive attractions, this, this thing was huge. It was enormous. These subs didn't turn on a dime. 
uh, <laughs> and we'll get to the tracks, I'm sure, in a couple minutes. But you needed space for these puppies to, to turn and, and go through the scenery. It, this was a daunting task. Uh, yeah, they a, a, <laughs> in a lot of the stuff they talk about how it was it was basically one quarter of Fantasyland was yeah. this one attraction. And uh, I read something in passing that uh, at some point they, they thought they actually wanted to make it three times larger than what it turned out to be. Uh, wow. <clears throat> which seems nuts. So I, I have no other details other than someone mentioning that, that they originally wanted it much larger and then pared it down to that. But Well, the uh, other which, thing about this attraction that I, you know, if you think about the other attraction through any theme park, everything is generally mimicked that you're going up in space, that you're driving a fast car, that you're going to go underwater. This was... The only attraction I can think of that you're doing what they say you're doing. Okay, you're not descending, but you are actually in a boat. You are actually looking out through real water. Uh, this would be like, you know, the Little Mermaid attraction really taking you underwater and, you know, in a bubble. I mean, think right. about it. Wait, 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 wait. I can't think wait, of any are, other. Are you telling me that you don't really go underwater in the Little Mermaid attraction? <sighs> Because the I'm bubbles sorry. come right up under nah, as your clamshell turns backwards. I, I know. I and do. I hear it. It does, bro. I hear and it. And then they hear. sing under the sea. So yeah. <laughs> are you telling me it's all a lie? It, it, hate to tell you, Brian. It's it's that's a, that's a it's lasers and fog and bubbles. I, I, I don't believe Sebastian would lie to me. That's just what it's I'm nothing. Saying. I don't <laughs> it's nothing but tiny bubbles. He's dancing though underwater. <laughs> Wouldn't you dance underwater? Yeah, I do. <laughs> So, I mean, I, can you guys think of any other attraction where, you know, you're doing what, I mean, maybe you could say test track because you're going fast and you're in a car, but there's there's really not a lot out there where you can actually replicate what it's supposed to be. I mean, there's there's some boat ride attractions where you get to ride it, but the concept of being able to go underwater is, is so novel and interesting. Even, mm -hmm. even the parts of the ride that were kind of cheesy <clears throat> are made up. For by uh, by that unique ride system and right. the whole setup of going across a gangplank and then going down into it. It's like it was such a very unique experience. Right, right, yeah. So, how? Why don't we talk a little bit about you know we, we're just talking about the, the, the layout and, and what this looked like when you you know you went up to the attraction and and you know, like I said, 130 feet long, just the loading area, the loading dock um, right. was huge. And I remember they had the, it was an open air canopy. They would blow some cold or at least blow some air down through these exposed ductworks. It looked very steampunk and Jules Verne-like, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, had all sorts of what looked like volcanic rocks, and, and you could hear the music playing. They had the nautical flags that, if you knew what they spelled out, they spelled out 20,000 leagues. Uh, they were flying above the, uh, the attraction. One of the things that was interesting about the queue is, as you were in line, uh, they'd play music, which was... Pretty much exactly the same tracks that they would play at the Columbia Harbor House. It's, you know, sea shanties and seafaring mm -hmm. stuff. But every so often, Captain Nemo would cut in and tell you some sort of, like, tidbit fact about the ocean. Huh. <laughs> uh, and there were probably about five or six of these. Uh, and, and actually, one of our, one of our uh, followers on Twitter and, and a fan of the show... Uh, plastic seaweed who is who is a big fan of uh of 20k and and of us uh mentioned to me today uh that there was a there's one thing where they talk about saturate with our saturation diving techniques and and that was something that was actually brand new uh at that time in the 1970s and and not well known outside of people in in the maritime industry so somebody was doing uh a lot of research uh to try to get stuff right hmm. back then Interesting. 
Yeah. And I think the official attraction name was 20,000 Leagues Submarine Voyage. It's, is that is that correct? I f- yes, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Submarine Voyage. Submarine Voyage. So everybody... So that, was, that was the original mouthful attraction, <laughs> but everyone just called it 20K for short. <laughs> so you would go through a queue, and, and I remember standing out there and, and the heat, and, and part of the queue was uncovered, part of it was covered. Um, yeah, actually, do you remember the, our, uh, when we had, um, oh, who was it that had the photos from 71 that was on with us? Uh, oh, George, 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 George. originally yeah. the, the queue was actually completely uncovered, I believe. And oh, then, yeah. and then it was covered and then they actually, because the, the line would always be so long, they actually built this additional, mm-hmm. uh, sort of strip down the front of it right. that had a canvas cover. Uh, to protect people in the sun because this this ride was enormously popular. Right. And I mean, as we're... Yeah. I can't think of a time that it didn't have a line of 60 minutes, like, continually all day long. Right, right. And you, you'd go over and you'd think, oh, that looks small, and then you realize everybody was all snake behind. So, <laughs> right. uh, so there, was was, zig, there was a zigzag queue, just as we normally have. No monitors, nothing to look at. Every now and yeah. then you got the touch of volcan- a fake volcanic rock. Um, and, and that was it. Now, when you approached... Um, I remember them always loading and unloading two subs at a time. I read a lot of stuff on the internet that says three, but I remember them going out in pairs. So they could do three on a very busy day. Okay. So they typically would run six subs, and on a busy day they would run nine subs. And when okay. they ran nine, they would they would load three at a time. And, and there was this very complicated dance that they would do with uh, with the people that were getting on the sub uh, to the far right-hand side if they did that, where they actually mm-hmm. had to move them over a bridge and do like a little staging area right? as the group got out of the sub to come up through the exit, and then they would move them back across the bridge wow. and back into it. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk was... about a normal two-day then. That's what we yeah. should probably <laughs> talk about. So the way that, the, that this queue was set up um, was that there were, there were two subs would pull in tandem. Now, these subs were on... Um, a concrete track. They were they were secured on the track with special rollers, uh, and they actually had bumpers that were down at the track level. So the the pilots, if they accidentally uh, left it in gear and were moving forward, the the physical st- subs wouldn't touch. These bumpers would hit first, so they were kind of out in front of the sub and, and behind the sub. Um, but you still had to be a skilled driver to bring this into the exact spot because if you didn't bring it into the right exact spot. They would lower these gangplanks that came down. Um, I mean, they were good. What six, seven feet long, somewhere in there? How? Oh yeah, like they that. were. Yeah. They were quite. They had to span the entire. They were on the other side of the dock, so they had to span the entire side of the sub, right, in order for you to walk across it. And if they got it at the wrong spot, the hatch either wouldn't open, or the gangplank would be too far away from the stairs. So. There was a lot of coordination between those on deck and and hand signals through to the to the captain driving everything in to get these subs in line. So now you've got two subs pulled in, um, basically nose to rear, um, and they would then you would start to load from the front of the sub. And a hatch would open up, and there were two stairwells going down, one for the port side, one for the starboard side. And they would you know, count out the number of people, and you'd file in all the way to the end of the sub. Now, at the same time that you were going into the sub, a rear hatch opened up, and the people that were just on the attraction were standing up and walking out through. Now, how you remember, there wasn't much room in there. 
at all. No, it was, it was <laughs> it, quite, quite compact. It, it was compact. That The seats were these leather like paddles, almost like ping pong paddles, right? And they would hinge and fold up towards the center of uh, this, this berm, if you were, beam, if you will, that ran down the center of the sub. Um, they would fold up so that when they folded up, you could walk across. But once you sat down, you weren't getting up and you weren't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no. If, if you were in the middle, you had somebody on the side. There's no restroom stops here. Um, so you would you would proceed to go in. The people would go out the rear, and they would go up another gangplank that would take them out to the exit. Uh, and, and it would be one of those, please proceed all the way down, fill every available seat. You turn around behind you. You pull down the little paddle seat. You sit down, and there you stare uh, into your own personal porthole. out and the first glimpse that you would see was pretty much just the wall if you were on the left side i think the right side sometimes you could yeah, that's see true yeah yeah and if you're on the right side there was another track uh on the on the right hand side of the sub and you could see across into where they would have a, a additional subs park that were waiting to be either put into service or taken out of service or additional staging areas that's right. Yep. If it was a busy day, they would pull the subs, the extra subs from the back and park them out there so they wouldn't have to take them through the show building in order to get them out. Right. No. Uh, when necessary. One other interesting thing we talked about is they were diesel electric. Other than the, the Speedway, this had to be the worst attraction for air quality <laughs> to work at. It's a big... Do you remember the smell? Big stack. Oh, yeah. It was very distinct. <laughs> oh, it stunk. I mean, you were getting on this thing, the, the diesel fumes. So these guys who were dressed in... And, and we should mention that majority of the um, of the cast members were, were men. I and mean, they, they did add uh, female skippers in the later 70s, but majority of them were men. Uh, they were dressed in... Uh, uh, their cast member uniform looked very much like the... Uh, uh, the sailors in the movie and right. um they, i mean they were out there hanging around with this these diesel fumes all day i remember my father commenting on it and stuff so um going how do they work here i don't know how they do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um so they would close the hatch and then the lights would would kind of there were two colored lights right how there was a red light there's a red one yet and the and the clear white one which the white was used when you were boarding and and, and disembarking um and then Captain Nemo would uh, start his spiel. That's right. This is Captain Nemo speaking. Welcome aboard the Nautilus. We are proceeding on a course that will take us on a voyage 20,000 leagues under the sea. Todd, before I forget, it would be remiss of me not to mention that uh, the voice of Captain Nemo was Pete Renaday, uh, a voice artist who's used many times in the Disney parks. He was the voice of Henry the Bear in the Country Bear Jamboree, and also Third Officer Collins in Mission to Mars. And Captain Nemo has uh, set us off. The, the sub starts to move, and, and um, it was a very, very smooth attraction. The, 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 the sub moved very slowly at first and, and you know picked up a little bit of speed. There wasn't a lot of jarring or bumping, but finally, you know, these fake starfish and barnacles and, and different things would start passing and everybody would then just kind of crouch forward and put their head into this porthole it was about six to eight inches deep right and mm -hmm. um you'd literally press your nose up against the glass which was kind of <laughs> gross <laughs> after the hot everybody going down there they were air conditioned 
Um, the, the, the yeah, there's a little air up. vent there, which is which is supposedly one of the keeps uh, one of the secrets from people getting motion sickness is to have air blowing on you. So exactly, each, each one of the things had a little. Oh. Bit. And they were supposed to also potentially help defrost it if the water temperature not defrost, <laughs> but keep it from fogging up and I'll, keep the humidity I'll bet down. The people who had to clean up the results of oh. motion sickness really appreciated that feature. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And, yeah, and there was also a little speaker. So your narr- so your narration came out of that speaker, and then right. there was an additional speaker at fore and aft. That uh, so Captain Nemo would talk through through the speaker that was in front of you, and then some additional crew members would talk uh, out of the other speakers that were uh, at the end. So uh, it sort of kept that illusion that there was you know more than one person riding the ship. Right. Exactly. So these these portholes were about what would you say about ten inches tall, eleven inches tall six to eight inches deep maybe there may be more than 10 to 12 maybe about like a foot that. yeah maybe about a foot so you everybody imagine hunched over everybody is staring through this and, and waiting uh intently for something to happen the captain of the sub who is driving is actually never got to sit down they kind of just leaned in this um vertical position uh that, that their head went up through what the, the the little eyes of the sub that area was called the sail um yep. and if you look back you could you could just look over and see your captain basically pretty much from his knees down or waist down is all that was visible yeah um, but uh and, and i think his job other than making the sub go was actually to wave to people <laughs> through through the bug eyes on the nautilus to people <laughs> they did have it. to push the buttons to try to start the narration in the appropriate places oh they did okay they did which well, which was rather hit or miss <laughs> so let's talk about the first couple scenes then let's get into that as we you pull out and as Hyde said, you see you see some seahorses and and some starfish and crustaceans like attached to the thing, and then uh, and then the bubble starts. So they they tell you that they're, they're going to dive. Stand by to dive. Diving And then, uh, and then these bubbles start coming out, uh, which which simulate you diving. Uh, the bubbles were actually uh, they were actually the, an air thing that was uh, that was lined along the track. So it wasn't attached to the sub itself. Every time you saw this this curtain of bubbles, it was actually like down below the track and would go past your window. And then you kind of come out into what what they call one the fish note plant. there. Did the McFarkles? actually tried to escape the sub when they started to send they got so nervous they just whipped open the rear hatch and mcfarkles just started waving that it was terrible terrible so i just had to interject that i mean i would like to see that because i bet that hatch weighed a ton it had a height remember they had hydraulic rams on oh it had a, these enormous hydraulic lifts on yeah it, so yeah, it was pretty it would make this oh that was the other thing is like the sound just anywhere it's like we talked about the the smell of the diesel fuel yeah the the sound of the engines like practically drowned out everything as you're waiting in line so for 60 minutes it was just this onslaught of heat and like diesel engine noise <laughs> and fumes yeah. yeah and fumes it was yeah fantastic and can't wait uh, to can do it who, again <laughs> that's why so many people loved it right. you, were, you were so high on the fumes you didn't even care nope um so you'd go out into the fish plane you'd see schools of fish and and shells and Stuff like that, and then the then you kind of move ahead a little bit, and you'd see lobsters and crabs on the rocks. Now, s- some of the lobsters and crabs were just hanging out, uh, having fun, doing their thing. Others, you know, were were battling, just going back and forth uh, in in a Titanic epic battle against each other. 
I guess they're angry lobsters, I'm not sure. Uh, they look delicious, though. Here among the reefs, you will see many familiar inhabitants of the undersea world. And then you go forward a little bit more, and you'd see some sea turtles kind of like up against the rocks, and their heads would, would move up and down, and their, their uh, flippers would move. The great green sea turtles, for instance, are the reptilian patriarchs of the deep. For the sea turtles and stuff, they did a great job of, of hiding the rods and different things that held them up. I mean, yeah, this isn't like living seas here where these creatures and everything is attached. I mean, if you, we'll talk about later on the sharks where you can see the strings holding them. But yeah. um, for the most part, anything that was down there, the, the, it was done well it, for, for it its was, time. Yeah, it, it was, was done fairly, really, really well. It was well. painted realistically yep. uh, as, as realistic as it could. It's like this: the stuff looked good. It was It was very high quality. Yeah. Uh, and then there were also like anemones with uh, with fish, uh, like sort of hovering at the top of them, um, probably larger than real an anemones and real fish, so that way everyone could see them. But uh, and uh, but that was there. And we're um, still outside at this point. The 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 sub would come around and make this uh, essentially a hundred and eighty degree turn to head back towards the the show building. Um, right. So you're still outside in the in the evening hours, if I recall correctly, the sub actually had lights on that would be turned on that would light up the outside lagoon. Um, that way, the lagoon wasn't lit up. The sub it was, it was like you know you're on a you're on a mission, so the sub turned mm -hmm. its lights on so you could see what was going on. It was a different experience at night, at least for the you know the outside lagoon portion of it. Right. So at, at this point, we're actually uh, just on the the back of the first turn. Mm -hmm. uh, against the back of it uh then you see the grouper or giant sea bass um which we love to we love groupers on the show we talk about them all the time at the living seas and that's right and other stuff uh and there's a couple of them hanging out groupers or giant sea bass roam the coastal bottoms in search of food uh and that grouper actually uh it's not the same one because it was running concurrently but uh, that same grouper was used in uh, in Horizons in the undersea section. So you actually went oh, by cool. the same giant electric grouper, same mold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same mold when you when when you get to Horizons. And and there was also a uh, an octopus there. Mm -hmm. um, that was not an octopus used on uh, on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, but was used on an old version of the submarine voyage uh, down in the shipwreck section. So, cool. so some of the, the denizens of, uh, 20 K and the submarine voyage managed to make it onto, uh, onto horizons too. Look at that. Yep. Um, and then, uh, I, to me, one of the weirdest sections is, is the giant clams. Yeah. So you go through this <laughs> sort of bed of giant clams, uh, and the mouths open and shut and, uh, bubbles come out and, and Nemo makes some kind of remark. The giant clam, obviously, is quite safe from such marine predators. I'm not sure if they really care. Yeah, right. uh, At that point, you do feel a little bit like, okay, I might be in a giant aquarium because there's just bubbles coming up from a clam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is very much like an aquarium. Yeah. And then, uh, then the next section I always thought was really creepy was with these uh, moray eels. Mm -hmm. you'd, you'd go by this section of rock very close to the windows uh, yeah. with moray eels in them, and they'd kind of like dart out. Uh, and at the time, I, I think we all knew uh, from schools, like uh, other other than sharks, it's like those were kind of the scariest things in the ocean because of the teeth, and they would like be attracted to shiny things and try to bite you. So right, right, and, and you know that's they, they almost look like the the, the eels in Ursula, uh, the Little Mermaid, Ursula's yeah. little mm -hmm. little Same henchmen, species, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then you get out out from there, 
into just some some big areas of coral and you'd see some more seahorses and uh some vegetation and volcanic rock and then you came to what was a a really cool like twenty thousand leagues under the sea moment uh they had divers like fake audio animatronic uh divers well i shouldn't say audio animatronic because they're this is all uh air actuated so they're not actually very sophisticated figures but they had divers in the uh the Nautilus suits like you saw in the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea movie. Yep. And uh, Nemo talks about how they are basically farmers um, and the things that they're doing. Uh, so you see them farming the seafloor. Uh, there's there's two of them that have corralled a, uh, a sea turtle with a rope and are kind of hanging on to him. Uh, and that really harkens back to the book where they where they talk about uh, harvesting the sea and uh, and in the in the film too, it's like how Nemo describes how they get all their food and all their all the things that they need from the ocean. Witness the crew from one of our satellite ships. They are harvesting the abundance that nature has sown here beneath the sea. Kelp beds are cultivated, sea creatures corralled and protected from predators, just as terrestrial shepherds protect their flocks from ravenous wolves. Again, another nod. Horizons giving a nod to that too. I mean they. They mine the surface of the of the ocean in in horizons, and then there was always the famous comment about kelp. Yeah, so. and there was there was this weird little pumpy thing. On oh the yeah. Ground, which yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that was supposed to be, but it you know you know what that might cool. be that might represent the because um, these were Harper Groff designed uh, sea diving equipment, and uh, what that might have been is a, a, a supposedly maybe showing that that was an underwater pump bringing air down pumping mm. it to to the to the to the bell the diver's bell suit i don't know just a thought. cool and then uh and then the last thing you saw before you uh before you went into the the waterfalls and the caves was a uh was an octopus with its tentacles wrapped around a shark and they were st- having a life or death struggle <laughs> uh to see who would win and and i want to say uh, there's actually a, a very similar tableau to that in the museum of natural history in new york that i saw in their undersea section so uh so it must be a real thing they Could didn't be. make that up that's a, a real deal yep. so uh so as as we get out of this more calm area um the they make a note over the radio that uh that there's some surface storms and uh they have to dive to escape them Surface storm ahead, sir. Weather alert. All controls eight degrees down. Hold her at 80 fathoms and proceed on course. And and as we as they say that, we reach uh, if when you were standing in line, if you looked across the uh, the lagoon, you would see there were some some big rocks on the other side that sort of represented volcanoes. You'd see waterfalls, and so the once you hit the waterfalls, that was the surface storm. Uh, they would shoot up some more bubbles and then uh, you would start your your real deep dive and and one of the funny things that I ran across in research was initially um, those waterfalls were actually like a curtain of water that went across the entire uh, entrance and exit of the cave and if you mm-hmm. look at uh, old things at Disneyland you could see how the subs came out under like a full waterfall yeah well apparently uh, that hatch that we talked about that was so heavy wasn't super watertight. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, so they had some problems with leakage 
when they first started running the subs. So uh, so managers ordered that the uh, the waterfalls be diverted to just run on the two sides of the sub rather than over it directly. So if you, if you find very early footage, uh, you'll see that the waterfalls go all the way. And then if you find stuff from from uh, a little bit later you'll and into the the 80s and the 90s you'll see that the waterfalls are just kind of falling on each side and then after the ride was closed they actually pulled that stuff up and went back to like the full waterfall again while it was sort of in its weird dormant phase right right that's interesting but, yeah that makes yeah. sense so but uh so now it's time to to really get into the action so um so as we get out of the lagoon the the bubbles come up uh i think we go to four zero fathoms and uh, we start into the really cool stuff, which is all inside of the show building. And again, as we talked about earlier, this, this building was huge. You know, over yeah. a foot. Basically, if you took off the, if you added a little bit to the front where the caves were, you're talking about pretty much a football field size building. Yeah, it's and massive. One of the things to keep in mind is everything that we're talking about was mirrored on the left or the right side. So right, you had to have the same exact show scene on both sides of the sub. And the subs came into this building, turned around, and basically came out, you know, maybe a hundred feet from from each other. So these these show elements were were pretty wide. So you had to, you had to have a, a big chunk of space down there in order to do this. Right. And there's two things they had to deal with. I mean, one, they used forced perspective to to show depth, not specifically looking up and down, but looking out, so yeah. that the the water appeared deeper, uh, or not deeper. I'm sorry, that that the everything extended beyond what you were looking at. Um, the other thing they had to deal with too is as you're going, obviously, if you're making a right-hand turn, um, those things that are on the right, you have less space to deal with just because of the natural radius. On the left, you're going to have more. So placing those things to time right with the same exact narration because everybody's hearing the same thing, and condensing the right side for right turns and condensing the left side for left, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. It, it was impressive yeah. the way it was done. Well, the narration was never exactly what I would say perfect. Well, uh, no, no, no. Well, what I was saying yeah. is there's not a different for the left and there's not a different for the right. Right, right Everybody right. was listening the, to the same. One of the things that you you would run into that was probably a lot of people's complaints about the ride, especially as, as time went on and things got more sophisticated. Uh, the subs are pretty long. They're about, what, 68 feet long or something, I think? I, I think so, that's about there. And they, they weighed... 61 61 feet seven and a half inches long so it's a, that's a huge sub you got 40 40, 40 tons is their weight yeah the person you know starts the tape and they're talking half the time when they'd be talking about the, the grouper or a giant sea bass you'd be like i'm not seeing i i do not see a grouper or a right. giant sea bass and you'd wait like 30 <laughs> seconds and then it would go by the window yeah or if you were in the front of the sub you would see the sea bass and then they would tell you like that that was the sea bass <laughs> like after you were well past it so Yep. You just that never, was, it was a different ride every time. Yeah. It was never, <laughs> never the it, same. Maybe ride, but. if you sat in the dead center, uh, you would, you would actually see the thing they were talking about, but people did not get the same show every time. Right. Anyways, I digress. So, uh, so you go underwater, uh, and you see, um, the first, the first thing that you see is the, uh, the graveyard of lost ships. The Nautilus can dive safely below the violence of ocean storms. Surface vessels are not so fortunate. Witness the evidence of their fate. The graveyard of lost ships. Uh, and this is a section that is that is also in the Disneyland version. Uh, there's a little bit of a difference in the, in the Florida one. Uh, this is actually based on a passage in um, in twenty thousand in the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea novel, where. Um, 
they go into I think the Strait of Hormuz and they there was like a huge battle between the English and the Spanish and uh, the galleons that were filled with treasure uh, were sunk in that area and in the novel Nemo actually gets a lot of his his golden stuff from there and in the Disneyland version they have sort of like third-party people uh, going through the wrecks but in the Disney World version you just see the all these wrecked ships and and that scene in particular is like magnificently done for his perspective you you cannot believe uh in like 30 or 40 feet they managed to achieve this effect with like much larger ships being built towards you and then these ships being built progressively smaller as they go to the back it's that was so well done yeah, yeah. R- really amazing um so you go and uh and and those ships were uh regarded by man-eating sharks and and i think this is the one place where maybe we had a little bit of failing with the uh with the sharks oh, <laughs> they, they swam a perfect circle every, i mean all right so they we were all very know orderly they were very yeah they, i don't oh, recall good day, they were good day excuse me pardon <laughs> me let's just go ahead. i i i believe they were at slightly different levels but if you can imagine just a, 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 an umbrella frame above the water with you know cables coming down every three or four stanchions or, or, or whatever you want to call it, um, rods coming out the side this thing would just basically a carousel of sharks going around in a perfect yeah. circle and we all know sharks have to swim you know to, to stay alive we understand that the only pl- only place i ever see them swim in circles is in round aquariums <laughs> but <laughs> they just that's what i was referring to earlier that it was um it was it was probably the weakest of them all they if they had put a track with a more of a random pattern rather than just this circle it probably yeah. would have been a little more uh, or if if, if they could if, if, if the um cables could have gone up and down very slowly in a random fashion to show that would have been a little more impressive yeah, and there were two of them on each side. So you see the sharks, and then you see like the sharks again. And also, sometimes like little bits of seaweed and stuff would end up getting stuck on the string. <laughs> so you would actually see that seaweed like hanging off of it as it went around and around. And um, depending on what scene we were in, too, is, is how you, you mentioned earlier. If you if you looked down in your porthole or put your head down and looked up, you could always see the surface of the water. When you were in the building, in certain scenes. You could kind of see the mechanics of the sharks going around, depending yeah. if work, work lights were on or what scene you were in. You could see fluorescent lights up top and different lights lighting the scene. Right, but we didn't do that. We just I no, just we just looked straight, straight ahead. ahead. Straight ahead. Straight That's ahead. all we're doing today. We're, we're just yep. looking straight ahead tonight. Um, so, so after we get out of that section, then we uh, we go into the uh, the polar ice cap section. So you see uh, see these polar ice caps, and there's a really neat uh, section really neat little scene where there's this uh, wrecked Viking ship that's actually like protruding out of an iceberg uh, going down to the water which is really cool uh, and this is one spot where they kind of upped it over the Disneyland version with the addition of the Aurora Borealis uh, effect so as you're going through the water instead of just like blue and white uh, icebergs they have sort of like the Aurora Borealis colors and the, the colors are all changing uh, as you're looking at the icebergs which is a little bit psychedelic yeah in this region of the polar ice cap, you are witnessing a rare visual phenomenon. The aurora borealis above us. Iceberg beginning, sir. Take her deep and keep an eye on the depth gauge. Uh, so then we, we, we dive a little bit deeper 
I think there's, I don't know, there's some, some reason that we have to go down to eight zero fathoms. Uh, and then we go down to, uh, into complete darkness, uh, where, uh, the fish are bioluminescent, uh, or black light. That yeah. works too. It works. doesn't matter. They glow. Uh, so you see some, some crazy, uh, some crazy fish. I think they used to have like an angular fish and, uh, some of these, uh, light rod fish and, and or fish, uh, down in there. And then they would say, uh, I think like the, the maximum depth light would come on and they'd go like, okay, we've, we've gone too far. We got to go back up again. So, uh, so then all of a sudden we stumble on the city of Atlantis. Ah, these crumbling heaps of stone betray the hand of man. I believe we've made a startling discovery. These classic ruins could very well be the legendary lost continent of Atlantis. See these wrecks and, and Nemo says something about, you know, these, these crumbling heaps betray the hand of man. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is a line almost taken directly out of the the tw one of the first translations that uh, became popular in English of the uh, of the novel. So uh, someone really did go back to the novel and, and pull stuff out in this version. Uh, it's literally the language from that novel is reused uh, for the narration. So it's it's a it's a direct lift. Um, so you see like this giant uh, gold head. Uh, and they actually did, uh, when they built the ride, they actually went and put real gold leaf on some of these, uh, golden statues to, to be ultra realistic. Um, and, and then, well, we, I don't know if we talked about the treasure yet. That's coming up. Are we going to do yeah, that? Yeah, that's the next, that's okay. The next I'll, I'll mention. I'll, yep. All right. So I'll do No, it's fine. Go right into it. So, so good segue there. Uh, how is that, you know, gold leaf attention to detail, which we all know Disney has been famous for over the years. Um, there was some treasure coming up in the next scene, and they actually had their own set of coins minted specifically for the ride and made. Not that you could really even see the detail. You could have thrown just chunks of aluminum foil down there, and we probably would have been pleased. But um, they had their own little coins minted, and I understand later on when they didn't have a supply of them anymore, they, they purchased, like, doubloons and tokens from like a company that supplies mardi gras or something <laughs> casinos <laughs> or something like that and just chucked them down there but i mean that just uh, think about that that that's just such an attention to detail to to the cost associated with that alone um it, it's it's pretty impressive yeah i saw a close-up of of one of them and it had this sort of athenian looking head on it it was it was really uh really really interesting that they would go to that level of detail there yeah yeah but that was you know that's what they did. That, yeah. was, that was Disney. That was it. Um, and then that leads us to like one of the oddest parts of the ride. <laughs> uh, so as you go through this this huge section of treasure, uh, you run across some mermaids. There's there's a couple of mermaids with the mirrors that are just kind of like doing their hair and making sure that they're looking attractive. Uh, and then there were there were also so <laughs> you'd go past this and then. Uh, in the middle of this is this giant, goofy-looking sea serpent. With legends of sea serpents and mermaids. Beg your pardon, sir, but did you say sea serpents are mere fantasies? Belay there, mate. Anyone in his right mind knows there's no such thing as a sea serpent or mermaids. Which, to me, just blows the whole thing, because <laughs> yes, you've yes. gone through this kind of serious stuff and you're like oh my god very, Atlantis, very, that's very cool, cool and then yeah, it's very, well you know what yeah, it, you very, know what it was how this this was pre-world emotion he he had a contract already he's too happy when, <laughs> when world emotion he was supposed to move over there and and you know then his brother yeah. um got got the contract for world emotion and he just had to stay i believe that's yeah. that's what it was because it looks suspiciously similar now i'll say it's not as 
goofy looking as Disneyland's, which is extraordinarily goofy looking. I mean, really? Oh, it's it used to. I thought it would like it looks like a grade school like kids put it together <laughs> something. It's not nearly as good as ours in, in this one. But you know, as a Claude Coates thing, it's like maybe that was his thing. It's like, well, let's not overdo this and make this too heavy. Let's mm-hmm. have a light moment in here and and something that's funny. So. Uh, so then they use kind of like a goofy looking sea serpent and you're going to get scared a little bit later on. So it's like, maybe that was a little bit of levity. Uh, and then there were two mermaids that were just kind of like holding on to ropes on a leash, uh, that were non, non animated other than just kind of floating around in the water and, and holding onto it where the other stuff was animated. So, um, those those are the ones that uh, Randy talked about that he would go paint nipples on, and then he'd right. have to like unpaint the nipples on, and people <laughs> complained about it. <laughs> um, so after we get past the uh, the goofy sea serpent, yeah. uh, we start going past some uh, some columns, some sort of like Greek looking columns, and Nemo makes a comment. Of, By Neptune's flippers, this confirms it. That seething mountain still denies rest to the civilization it submerged thousands of generations ago. Helmsman, steer clear of the tottering columns. Yes, so tell the tell the helmsman to steer clear of the tottering columns, uh, which he pronounces columns <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you basically you're going by these things that they're kind of swaying back and forth, and perhaps it looks like it's they might strike you. I don't know. Uh, and then we get to the like the absolute scariest thing yeah. in in the ride, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, do you? I'll let you talk about it because it looks like you're almost as excited as I am. Yeah. So to say what it is. <laughs> so one of the most famous scenes uh, in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea is, as as we you know from the, the movie posters and even clips and, and the, the the trailer and the movie itself. Uh, is the giant squid? So as you, as you come into this next scene, um, you 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 see a similar sub, but like another nautilus that has been um, attacked, uh, if you will, by uh, by a giant squid and it's holding on. And in you know Nemo, I forget what he says, but you know we need to move along here or something. It's dangerous he says, waters. Are you even have the script? God, it's one of us. One of us. Its hull has been crushed like an eggshell. Good. Lord, it's one of ours. Its hull has been crushed like an eggshell. Which, what I find fascinating about this, if you've been on any rides like Jaws, the things were, uh, like Jaws in Florida, it's like you'd, you'd go around the corner and you'd see, you know, the boat, which is supposed to be other passengers right. getting pulled down by the shark and people devoured. This is 1971. Yeah. And you have killed 40 guests <laughs> in another submarine. That's right. <laughs> And which you're you're watching, so there are forty guests and a skipper dead inside of of that thing that you have just gone by, exactly. which is pretty freaking dark. <laughs> and that 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 squid holding on to that, I, I, I'm going to guess the length at maybe forty some feet. The model of the of the other sub it's was pretty huge. large. And um, one detail that was really cool. So all of the all of the subs as you're waiting uh, to get on your sub. You may have noticed that on the tail of the sub is a little Roman numeral that's the number of your mm-hmm. sub. So if you're sub number one, it's got a one. If you're sub number 12, it's got a 12. Well, the sub that's been uh, that's been grabbed by the squid is number 13. Yep. So it's, it is literally part of your 
part of your thing. Yeah. It's like, it's it's sub just like yours, but of course it's unlucky number 13. But, but they didn't have Nemo. I mean, that's why we get out, right? He's a smarter captain than... Right, know, <laughs> exactly. Whoever's behind 13, you know? But then oh. we, get, we get attacked. So we've witnessed this. Right. And now another squid comes and attacks our sub, and you see the tentacles outside of the window kind of shimmering <laughs> up and down. And these are... With, they're huge. They're about what? What would you say? Almost eight to ten inches wide. The the tentacles. They they come yeah. up, you know, as if they're grabbing the sub. They're moving up and down as you're moving forwards. So you get the sensation that they're 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 gonna grab. They're, oh, they are grabbing I mean, the sub. Yeah. This is one of the things. Like later on in life, it tends to look a little bit cheesy because they're not constricting against a sub. They're just kind of wiggling up and down. Right. But. As a kid, it's pretty pretty terrifying. But there's flashes of strobe lights as it. That's as right. It, yeah, like it's very dark. Electric. I mean, that's something you really have yeah. to emphasize: is how dark it gets as you're in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're so uh, so yeah. So then Nemo talks about how they're using the repellent charge, and you get the sound effect and the strobe lights. Full repellent charge. All ahead. Uh, and then the the sub our sub is disabled uh, after we do that. So then we have to make a a quick uh, return to the surface. And and as we do this, that's that's when we come out of the uh, out of the waterfall, back out into the lagoon. Emergency maneuver. All engines stand by to surface. Uh, and then our, our submarine limps back into port and we pass through uh, some more volcanic reef and there's some stingrays on the ground and some coral reef uh, and some more fish and shells and things. And then we come around back to the boat dock and we all very calmly file off and, and continue our day and maybe go over to Mr. Toad. Stand by to dock. Bridge. Aye, aye. All ahead. One third. Stand by the mooring. Thank you for sailing with us. And now, when the cabin lights come on, please stand by to disembark. Gather your belongings, take small children by the hand, and watch your step. And all this, the, the ride itself, lengthwise, it was almost 10, 10, 11 minutes, something like that. Eight and a half, eight hell. and a half minutes long. Eight and a half, if you include the yep. wait time, that's uh, one hour and uh, eight and a half minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, if, if you think about it, it was almost a t- 10... 12-minute attraction if you include the time of, of boarding and seating and starting and then getting up and going around it, it you know um but the load and unload what how do we know what the capacity per hour was on this uh yeah i think i might have that so let's see it's supposed to take so i have i happen to have uh the part of the operating manual here so um so there are 12 subs. Let's see, we had the track was 1,594 feet long. Uh, it was supposed to take a minute and 30 seconds to load. I don't think I've never, ever seen never. it. Take. It never took that. There was always a person who had. This is one of the reasons it led to his demise. Obviously, there was no way of any type of ADA accessible. Um, way of getting into the submarine. You had to go down. When we were talking about going down the stairs, in and out of the sub, they were rather steep. This wasn't exactly like, you know, going down your your, your yeah. steps in your house from your first floor not to your as, second. Not as bad as Disneyland's spiral staircase to get down. That's true. The sub, but 
Uh, but yeah, okay. So, uh, so the theoretical hourly capacity with nine subs running on a busy day is eighteen hundred guests per hour. Uh, when they were running six subs, it had a theoretical hourly capacity of twelve hundred twelve hundred uh, per hour. And I, I, I stress the word theoretical because right. I, I can't imagine it because I mean, just like we talked about earlier, it just it was ungodly slow of loading and you know. I remember as a kid, you're like, let's go, you're sitting there, come on, let's move, let's move, let's get going. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's no Haunted Mansion. No. Uh, or Small World, but, I mean, that's not a terrible... If you could achieve capacity. it. That's, yeah, that's the key. Yeah, if you could do it. I mean, yeah. we, we don't know what they, they really were doing. Um, so, I have a little personal anecdote about the story, is that... Um, or a story to tell about about the attraction. So if you guys re- remember, we've talked about my my first trip down there was 1980, and and, and maybe because my mom talked about. It. Remember, we also read about um, in my mom's diary how she said, "Oh, there was a great submarine ride." She she prompted, <clears throat> excuse me, she told me about that, and and if there was one attraction I wanted to go on on my first visit, it was 20,000 Leagues, and I was like, oh, "This is this is it, man," you know. So I'm I'm. What six years old, seven years old, first grade? I'm 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 gonna be going on this thing. I can't wait. Get down there. We get on the skyway. We go across. It's drained. There's a pump still operating, and my heart just sank. I was so deflated. I and I'm looking down. I remember saying to my dad, "No, that pump. You know, here's this massive pump." That pump's pumping water in. My my son, my father's like, no, son, that's that's pumping water out. No, 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 they're filling it. They're filling it. We can ride it later. You know, I was so so depressed that I couldn't ride this thing. And I, I come to know now that 1980, that was a pretty big, there was a pretty big makeover in 1980. There was a pretty extensive renovation that they did. That is year. that uh, is that when you went in 1980? It was 1980. Yeah. 1980. Okay, great. You actually answered one of my questions because I was trying to figure out when the 1980s rehab was. So it was October 1980. Okay. Look at that. So, Solving our own um, problems one episode great. at a time. So I'll tell my story of never having wrote it. Uh, <laughs> we went, I did get to go on it, by the way. My, it took me six years later. Yeah, my parents took us in January of 88. Uh, I believe it was open then um, <laughs> and not down for rehab. But I seem to recall the line was prohibitively long uh, to the point that my parents uh, looked at it and said, you know, we're not waiting in that line. Uh, it was more than an hour, I'm sure. And, uh, and so I did not return until January of 95, at which point the attraction was shuttered. So I, I, I never got a chance to ride it. I did ride Nemo, uh, my first visit to Disneyland that they had brought the subs back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should probably talk a little bit about the the ultimate demise of the ride. And, yeah, I've got a, and the various couple. reasons why that have been given yeah. for why it was sunset. So yeah. two comments. And actually, I I think we can like kill some of those uh, based on some 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 new information we've been given. It's That's like right. We can eliminate some of the baloney and get to the heart exactly. Of it, so. so a comment. But on actually, this. can we talk about the rehabs for a minute? Because sure. there is one like yeah, really no, fascinating. Um, before thing we about get to that, one comment. One thing on, on Brian. So okay. you, you mentioned the Nemo ride. Uh, I've I've been on it, and and they did take because of the animated projections that appear on the portholes in the in the um, uh, Disneyland version. Now the Nemo ride, they took out a lot of the scenery in the background and took out a lot of the figures, and the scenes are not what they used to be because a lot of times you're just staring at water watching these animated figures you know 
interact. While they do interact sometimes with the things in the tank, a lot of the original scenes aren't what they used to be. They're, right. they're, they're slimmed down. And, so it's and the, anyway, the explanation to that one, by the way, I mean, we'll just give it for for posterity's sake. I mean, we saw Tony Baxter a couple months ago at Destination D, but I've probably seen a half dozen interviews where he addresses the fact that, yes, people wanted to keep a 20,000 leagues attraction in Disneyland. Uh, but that was not going to happen, that they had reached a point that they were getting rid of it, and he made this pitch to turn the, the Nemo things into the subs, uh, put a Nemo attraction down there uh, in order to save the subs. And, right. Uh, and so that, that's why did. they ultimately did it. So, you know, people who don't like those attractions going to more modern intellectual properties, uh, he felt that it was the best way to try to save the subs, and it worked. Yep. It did work. Yeah, it was. It's actually he he doesn't get much credit uh, for what he managed to actually survive, make survive in Disneyland, yeah. uh, including like the, the treehouse. Tree they yeah. were just going to like right. kill the treehouse and putting the Tarzan thing on it was the devil's bargain. You, of actually you, having you, a you were in there, there for that, right? Where he said he he told Michael Eisner what they were four or five months from opening Tarzan the movie, and he said uh, I, we can do the Tarzan treehouse. <laughs> And Eisner was like, can you have it open in four months or whatever? I was, you know, Absolutely, we can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we sure. can do it. Yeah. So, how you want to talk a little bit about the refurbishments, right? Because that's, yeah. that's going to lead so, to some questions and some futures of, of the entire. Yeah. So, we'll go. To, we'll talk about the refurbs and we'll talk about sort of the, the end. Um, so, so, one of the things that I, I ended up stumbling upon... Uh, and and I give a lot of credit to uh, to Progress City, the Progress City USA site on this one, and uh, his his inclusion of some older eyes and ears, uh, and then some also some more info we got from uh, from at Plastic Seaweed. Um, what I had not realized, and, and Foxy Hoobs jumped into uh, with some info, is when this ride opened up in 1971, it was to a large extent vastly different. Uh, what we experienced from 1975 onward until the end was actually quite a large change. Um, I'm still trying to get some info on uh, exactly what those changes were. Um, but what we do know is, is that when, uh, when it first opened, the, uh, the animals uh, and the, audio, the animatronics in it were actually uh, not, hyd- or were not pneumatic. Hmm. Uh, they were simply water activated. Uh, and by the sounds of things, uh, they were maybe not that well done. Uh, so I don't know if it's a case where we got uh, older technology from the 50s and it got put in there or if they were just running short on money. And so they didn't have time to go and install uh, a full show that was really up to the the, the quality that they would have wanted. <clears throat> um and also uh, the rock work and stuff that was in there. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, that we never think about, uh, you know, the Imagineers plan out these uh, these attractions. They do all the drawings, you know, they do models and they do stuff, and then it's ultimately up to uh, to construction workers to actually build this stuff. And if you read into the old Disneyland uh, books, they talk about in California there was kind of a learning curve as as they would give out the jobs uh, to actually be built and the, the people would look at the plans and not understand what they were trying to accomplish because that's mm-hmm. not how you normally build stuff. Well, imagine it's 1971 and 1970 to 1971 and the workforce in Florida is, is probably not even up to snuff for like regular building standards, <laughs> much less 
trying to build, you know, rocks and, and caves and all the stuff that, that Disney expects and, and got used to the, the California crews being able to do. Yep. So it sounds like the initial uh, build outs of uh, a lot of the undersea stuff was just kind of at the whim of whoever was making it and, and wasn't that good. So uh, by time 1975 rolls around, just four years later, uh, the ride is shut down uh, on September 2nd, and they begin a huge, like, six-month rehab, uh, which includes the uh, the subs being changed over from from the uh, from the force gas to to diesel, but also Tony Baxter comes in yep. uh, with models of uh, of the uh, the rock work uh, in parts of the lagoon. Uh, and he starts working direct. He and uh, a guy named Skip Lang, who later goes on to do a lot of stuff in in uh, Euro Disney, with him, uh, they come in and they basically bring plaster models of what they want everything to look like, and they start working with the guys to bend the rebar to make it look like the way that they want it to look. And almost all of the uh, all of the rock work in the lagoon is redone from scratch. Wow. All of the animation is redone. It's it's picked up. It's moved. It's replaced. Uh, there's some great quotes in here uh, from a uh, from a uh, eyes and ears, uh, uh, which is the internal cast uh, newsletter. Uh-huh. So they say, uh, so project supervisor Calvin explained that the entire attraction is undergoing a massive rehab, one involving such extensive changes as to almost be rebuilding the attraction. Don told us that after draining the 12 million gallon lagoon, work began in tearing out much of the old rock walls and animation. At the same time, the submarines were sent off to the staff shops for, for building uh, a few at a time for rehabbing, which is still being carried on. Uh, so it said there's drastic changes being made in the animation. 95% of the old animation has been re- replaced with new, more lifelike creations from WED. Uh, the old animation, which is water activated, is being replaced by animation, which is activated by compressed air. And to keep the water clear, the 12 million gallon lagoon is being converted to a closed filter system like a swimming pool. So this is a, a huge, yeah, huge rehab. Uh, and, and Tony Baxter is in there doing uh, doing hands on art direction to to make sure that this is right. And apparently the the narration that went with this attraction originally uh, although no one has been able to like track down a full copy uh, at this point, uh, may have been different uh, and much more serious in tone. Uh, but but all that was changed with this new version, and uh, we're still trying to get some some real confirmation. But there's a point where uh, where Nemo uh, references Mister Baxter by <laughs> name in the attraction. Mister Baxter, if you think you're seeing mermaids and sea monsters. You've been submerged too long. And and one of the outstanding questions that we have is like, is that in fact a direct uh, reference to Tony Baxter himself and all the work that he did uh, probably uh, for Claude Coates uh, in Florida to like get this attraction like rehabbed and, and redone from scratch. And didn't Tom Tom re- Morris reach out and say he, he was 90% sure that certainly was? He was he's about 90% sure that that is a Tony Baxter reference, which is then interesting because there's a like I said there's a version of of the submarine voyage script from Disneyland that uh, appears um, on the Disneyland box set from a few years ago and and Mr. Baxter is referenced uh, in that as well so uh, so that name ended up on both coasts interesting interesting 
So what happened in eighty with the with the rehab? Do we know? Was that just more of a a, a painting type thing? That was just that was just to ruin your childhood thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Jeez. They said that time guy's coming. Let's just, let's just so, shut it yes. down. So they did do rehabs uh, about every ten years, just where they would drain it, <laughs> yep. repaint it. So in 1980 there was one, and 1990 there was another one. Right. Um, then in 93 they actually did some attention to the queue. They uh, redid the roof of the waiting area, and they actually added this really cool big map on the left hand side when you came in a volcano with uh, like some steampunk looking devices and stuff on mm-hmm. it. Which is really neat. Um, which was there was a lot of stuff going on in the park at that time to kind of just improve the general atmosphere and and make the queues better. And uh, they ripped out a lot of the old cement planters in Adventureland and built uh, more Adventureland-looking uh, like seats and stuff in there. Right. Um, which was which was all very strange because then we started hearing some buzz at the time that maybe uh, when they were planning to do another rehab in 94 it might be the end right so uh so it was never really officially announced but there were enough people <laughs> believe it or not on like uh oh like uh what were the in news groups oh yeah that were kind of convinced that something was going on uh so a, a bunch of us started going frequently on the weekends and particularly on the uh, on Labor Day September 5th of 1994 uh which ended up being the last day of operation it was supposedly closed uh for for a rehab um but oddly enough they kind of gathered together some cast members uh either the day of or a couple of days before uh skipper's old and current and like took a big photo out by the lagoon of everybody gathered uh and then it just kind of never opened again (laughs) shut down yeah so how you you would question maybe during the the rehab that a lot of the paint was that they used for the coral and 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 such was extremely saturated right oh my god it's yeah so if you if you look at some of the and we'll post these uh in the show notes too so you can see them uh yeah, there's there's a section where there's basically like a just a giant like green rock like yeah. running up the middle of it, and then blues, red and pinks, and, yellows, you name it. So yeah, it looks crazy when you when you would look at it when you're first doing the paint job. Right. So I, I have two theories on that, and I, I sent you guys some pictures that showed during one of the rehabs with the drain. Now, the the brightness of it, I have uh, two things. Well, first of all, you're, you're painting what's below the waterline. That's the first thing. And if you look at some of the rock work that's been drained. I can't. I don't know if these pictures are pre-draining or during or during fill or what have you, but there's a clear delineation between the water line and what's below. Um, especially in in the last photo I sent, where you can see they've painted a blue up to the water line, uh, and then it retain and then it goes to a, a natural gray rock formation. Now, on on the saturation, um, I think it was painted bright because it's chlorinated. They know they're going to lose saturation very very quickly, but saturation is going to deteriorate very very quickly at first and then it's going to tail off and take longer and longer and longer before you have a complete fade so my theory on that is they had to start with something extremely strong to begin with and then over time very quickly would lose its punch if you will also once you're underwater you've got the bubbles you've got everything else going on sunlight coming through you're you're going to have a little bit that's going to be lost naturally so i think that's my theory on it i have no idea uh if it's true or not (laughs) so as and the other thing is, out, while we're recording this, actually, Tom K. Morris, Imagineer, 
came yep. on and said that is exactly what it is. Hey. They, they know that as soon as the sunlight, there's two factors. Like one is sunlight in Florida. It's like it just beats down yeah. any color at all. And the second thing is uh, when you're underwater, there is an effect where just the water itself at about like 10 feet in distance just like sucks all the color out of everything. Yep. So the, that is that is a attempt to try to get some sort of of color in there, and you gotta overdo it in order to compensate for that. And apparently, someone mentioned that uh, when they redid the Nemo stuff in uh, California, uh, they forgot about that, and Oops. so everything looks very drab uh, in California. And and apparently, that was a call that uh, that Tony Baxter made uh, from an mm-hmm. art direction perspective to oversaturate it to tr- to try to compensate for right. that. So, and it's obviously Tony. also very clear in in some of these pictures where they're where they're painting below the waterline. They're also trying to get um, the lagoon to look something and reflect back to those that are on shore, seeing a difference, giving an illusion probably of depth. If you continued the color of the drab gray of the rocks down into the water, you wouldn't have that. But changing it over to a darker deep sea blue is going to give an illusion of depth and and looking down into a deeper, deeper cavern. So it's it's brilliant tricks of the eye and and angles and all that good stuff. Um, So I did not see Tom's Tom's. Twitter, so my my hunch was was correct. I, I and Tom, thanks. And, and uh, yeah, he's going to be on the show this year too. We're going to have Tom on. He's, he's oh, fantastic. To, yeah, he's agreed to come on. So, but how? <clears throat> now we'll get to the eventual demise and shutdown, going down to a, a specific Labor Day. Yeah. So, so a number of us went down uh, to try to get on the last ride in case it was the last ride, um, and uh, there were. Definitely, there were there were enough of us there that uh, that evening for uh, for two full subloads. So uh, so there were about eighty of us that went out for the last ride. Uh, I I spent the day taking as many pictures and and videos as I could of everything. I I think I actually uh, at some point brought like a lapel mic and pulled some skippers out and just tried to ask them some like did like little on the spot interviews with the tripod and like got got them in trouble <laughs> uh so I, I have to try to find that and, and pull that out and see if uh any of the audio on that came through but uh yeah we we had a feeling something was going on uh and sure enough uh it closed for that supposed rehab uh the next day and uh just never <laughs> ever opened again um you would they they kept the sub they kept the uh the water in there for the longest time they would move around subs and kind of place them out on the water and they kept the waterfalls running uh that's just for the kodak photo spot yeah just to make it look good (laughs) i guess uh but it it stayed like that for oh my gosh like i think it was i think it was i think it was almost two years actually that that it was it sat dormant like yeah so which is amazing in uh in sully sullivan's book uh, Disney legend, imagine uh, it was an Imagineer, but uh, in park operations, and he at that time I forget what his role was, but he talked about when Michael Ovitz was made president of the Walt Disney Company in the summer or very early fall of '95, uh, when he made his first visit to to the Florida property, he said that he wanted to ride the 20,000 leagues ride for himself because one of the first things he had heard when he became president of the company was all of these fans were 
freaking out over the fact that uh, they had closed the ride and he wanted to see if it really wasn't redeemable. And so Sully tells the story in the book that they found the absolute worst sub in the worst condition and put it on the track to get to give him a ride around. <laughs> so when he got off the thing, he's oh, there's no way we can keep this thing running. <laughs> <laughs> I heard rumors of them throwing buckets of water inside before, yeah, it was just like before they, he even got on. They were just, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, from a from a, a maintenance and operation standpoint. They did not want the ride to survive then. But how you probably have some other stories there. Yeah. So, I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of rumors going around about like, oh, it wasn't ADA compliant anymore. Uh, it cost too much to operate. Um, you know, like it was actually falling apart because of poor maintenance and, and this and that. And the other thing, it's like, well, we know the ADA thing is not true. I mean, yes, it was it was you couldn't get someone down there in a wheelchair but it's like they would have there were places uh many instances where they actually like would fill subs with like handicapped guests uh by either picking them up and carrying them down the thing they they got people on there and, and it was actually grandfathered grandfathered right like a lot of other things uh under the ada act so it wasn't easy but it could be done yeah it wasn't necessary to shut it down for that uh really what it did come down to is it was just money it was uh it it costs money to operate that it costs money to rehab it um there was a lot of stuff going on in that time yeah we should talk about that's that period of time after euro disney opened and there was the great credit squeeze and suddenly yep. everything had to be done on the cheap and and where really the company had operated for 40 years at that point uh not really worrying about cost overruns uh they were really running up against the wall at that point and uh, and I mean one of the one of the things that probably worked in its favor for a long time was the ticket system because when you bought tickets for those rides, it's like you were actually paying a certain amount of money to go on the attraction. So yeah. uh, when when you took your e-ticket and went on twenty thousand leagues, it was taking eighty cents or a buck or whatever an e-ticket costs, and like that attraction was actually making. Right, a dollar for every every person that went on it, so that was a profit center, and there yeah. was a cost operated, and you would subtract that out. I also remember from Destination D in 2014, uh, and I don't remember if it was Tony Baxter, who I think it was, or one of the other Imagineers who spoke about that that rehab. But the, by 1995, they had gotten to the point that the boats needed to be replaced, the subs. Uh, they mm -hmm. were fiberglass, uh, which is different than whatever material they made the the Disneyland subs out of. Yeah, I think those are actually sheet metal. Or something. Something. So, so they said that yeah. those being fiberglass cast, uh, they were prohibitively expensive to get remade. So you had to factor that into if we decide to keep this ride going, uh, we have to get all new all new subs. We're at a point where these those subs at that point were twenty five years old, uh, and. They just said, we, we, you know, that was part of the, the, the cost benefit analysis, uh, which was a massive investment. Now, one of the things that that uh, at Plastic Seaweed told me is they had actually bought a lot of the materials necessary for doing that rehab. Uh, they had warehouses of uh, the plastic seaweed already pre-purchased brought in from Hong Kong ready to go. And there were a lot of these materials ended up on eBay 
uh, or sold off to third parties. In fact, you can still buy a six-foot roll of plastic seaweed from the rehab that didn't happen for like 15 or $20 today. Um, so it's not real. Tw- it was destined for 20K, but never, right, they, never on it. it. It came as a big shock to uh, not only people that were working there, but apparently also to WDI as well, who, who hadn't expected that. Um, and and there are stories uh, that who Gibson told us of at that time awesome. or a little bit later of them even wanting to try to close down the Jungle Cruise, claiming that that cost too much money to maintain. So there is there is just a general need, I guess, uh, on the part of management to want to to make the books look good. And, look, and look. rather than putting up six hundred dollar cabanas to rent, they just yep. looked at closing down uh, attractions that cost a lot of money to rehab and run with a lot of personnel and right now let, i mean think yeah. about it. We're, we're talking 20 some years ago now right 20 years uh, the the respect for uh walt's vision you know you mentioned of the jungle cruise potentially shutting down the, the um i think that's changed over time there, there's more respect yeah. for for the older attractions that there is not to say that they could you know shut down a, a, one of a class a classic attraction or something like that well but there's a, a legacy there, that they're there, trying there's to also that withhold. magical time where an old attraction crosses yep. into becoming a classic attraction exactly right. and and you know i always talk about when they replace the and eventually we'll do that tiki room episode but when the the under new management came in as a, as much of an abomination as it is the people now at that point, the tiki birds were just about 25 years old in Florida. They right. seemed horribly dated compared to everything else that was kind of being done around them. Uh, right. So it seemed like a natural thing for them to come in and inject these new IPs and breathe life. And they were also empty half the time. Nobody was going in to see right. the show. Yeah. Now, when they brought it back, I mean, the crowds are pretty steady now because we recognize it as a classic attraction. And those of us who saw the original version the first 25 plus years missed it when we, when we, yep. when we went and saw it. I mean, I, lo- I always get, I get so much crap for this in the Cake Castle. Because I saw the under new management a billion times uh, <laughs> and only saw the original a few times. And I love the original attraction, but I also like the under new management attraction because it was really the only thing I knew. And so. Right. Right. And so when, oh, they got to bring back the fountain though, the towering water fountain, right? How I, mean, I miss that. <laughs> yeah, that'll that's never. Coming so when back. they but, but when they brought the the one back now, I mean, I don't miss it on a trip now. It's one of those attractions. I just I always say I got to see the singing birds before I leave. Right, right, right. It's like oh, Marie Chevalier imitations. Of course, <laughs> that's completely topical today. Makes sense. Everybody knows that that so, bird is so, trying to So, and I think that's where 20,000 Leagues was in 1995. If it had mm-hmm. if right. it had survived another five or seven years, I think it would have crossed into that classic thing where people would have said, oh, there's just no way we could get rid of this now. But yeah. right. We may have seen and, electric-powered subs and a different, and who knows, maybe only the lagoon was filled with water, and you, I don't know. And, you never know. Yeah, and as, as they were prepping for, uh, and, and this is the same thing we saw with Toad and a lot of the attractions, uh, like under new management it's like there was kind of a feel it's like a lot of the stuff was getting a little older they needed to get do some new stuff in the met they didn't want to build new things in the magic kingdom it's but they wanted to update and and change some things out and and try to put something a little bit fresh in there where they could uh perhaps it was a little misguided it's like they didn't understand the nostalgia but like you said brian they were it was right at that cusp well and 
And they were under, you know, it was their first decade with competition from Universal. And so Universal's right. adding Islands of Adventure and you're, they're building new things. And Universal was ripping out original attractions eight, nine years in and putting new stuff in. Right, and, right. and they were under constant worry about, you know, travelers diverting to Universal for splitting their vacations and splitting their dollars. Yep. There, there's one, one other thing we haven't talked about, and that's actually... Uh, and I don't know if anybody ever has, and that's safety. Now, if you think for a minute, you've got 40-some people sitting below waterline with only two points of egress, which is not easy. If for any reason the bumpers that we spoke of earlier failed or there was a collision between two subs, it's not a pretty situation. You've seen the hunt for Red October, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no you're not going to get out of that, right? right? It has happened. There have been there have been accidents on the subs. Well, no, I'm saying I don't, a serious accident. You know, I mean, yes, yeah, they've been bumped, I don't know. But if, if I'm trying to remember now, if anything was I don't think breached. this was Walt Disney World. I think this was Disneyland. But there was a sub full of Japanese tourists where there was a collision <laughs> with uh, there was a collision between the two subs. And uh, I, I think the subs in California didn't have the underwater bumpers, which is why the ones <laughs> here got them. Mm hmm. And they, the the tourists basically popped the top and got out of the sub and started swimming across <laughs> the lagoon in order to. Hey, escape. man, self sufficient. So there you go. Maybe maybe it, maybe maybe there was a safety issue too. It does, of course, it doesn't it doesn't preclude us from assuming. Yeah, that historically, we know that there were evacs yeah. from uh, from the subs. And, I mean, if it was even in the show building. There were catwalks that you, right. could, you once you open the hop, you could get up on the catwalk and then and, walk out. And Grant, if it really was true, California I, would be I, shut I th down. I too, think but, it's I think so. it's worth uh, a disclaimer as well, uh, as Howe and I and, and Todd and, and JT are going through the decision to close and the and the things explaining kind of what was going. On. We are explaining. We are not excusing. Uh, yes, we yeah, are trying yeah, exactly. to give those of you who may not have been paying attention at the time or may not have been born at the time. Uh, some insight into what was going on and the corporate and imagineering mentalities uh, that would have led to something that you'd say today. Hey, how come that's not there anymore? Um, right. You know, it seems un, 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 unimaginable. We should also mention, I think we, we kind of brushed on it, that the lagoon itself uh, stayed there for what seven years eight years after that oh my gosh almost a almost a yeah decade. almost a decade because i don't think it i, I don't think it, uh 2004 is when it actually started to be stripped yeah, down. yeah. so yeah and so it stayed there uh certainly through the skyway and the skyway stopped in what was it 98 i think they they put the skyway to bed mm -hmm. and uh and so because you could you know they, they kept it running for the skyway because you sailed over it every day if you rode the skyway right um, whereas not as much of it was visible from, from ground level. But I, I, I remember it, that's when it, they turned it into, instead of 20,000 leagues, they just took the, I think the, even the queue was still there, but they turned it Ariel's Grotto. Well, and they well right, I was going to say that. They, the they, they added, uh, <laughs> they, they reworked some of the stuff in front and built the Ariel's, Ariel's, Ariel's Grotto. Area grotto, right, and the statue out in the middle of the water. Um, that, was, that was in the back end where the rising stage used to okay. be. Exactly. So right. where the... That yeah, uh, and but they did do a they did set up they basically ripped out all the stanchions, and put a character meet and greet. Oh, that's right. Uh, yes. Underneath the the thing there, uh, for a while, and and you know that was the thing that was killing. It's like you'd go back, 
And it was just, they were just teasing you because they would have a sub out in the water. They would have stuff running. It's like you'd be riding the Skyway and be like, oh my God, there's bubbles coming out of the thing again. <laughs> it was, and be like, yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. And they'd be like, no. <laughs> every time you'd, we'd go. See, now you, you know exactly the pain I felt in 1980. That's, yeah. Oh, oh, trust me. Because oh. we were there every other weekend and it was just like. Oh, it's just it's just right there. I just want to get in that sub and go around. And I can't. <laughs> it's on oh, again. Man. Yeah. Well, so so yeah, eventually it became uh so eventually the Ariel's Grotto was built in the back and they put a Triton statue I think with some little yes. fountain or something uh, like yeah, out in the water. coming out of his his uh his uh his Triton. So I was going to say pitchfork, <laughs> but no no no. <laughs> and then uh Farmer King then, Triton and then finally they started to uh they started to flatten it out and uh and they put up the that tree and like set up the the poo's thoughtful spot with the little right. pra- playground yeah over on that side but still it was He's like trying. oh my god you have this huge chunk of land and you just put up this one little tiny thing Close. it's like why why did you even it's do not that? the devil like, why, why would you pull everything and what was what was became clear and there's there's still um I guess there's some debate or some question about this. It's like, it seems like they may have intended to put something there. Uh, there were uh, two attractions that they kept they kept talking about in the, the 1990s, like Fire Mountain and mm-hmm. like Villain Mountain, uh, and these are apparently things that were like in in uh, competition to perhaps come to the Magic Kingdom, and and that's a big chunk of land. So they're thinking they're putting like another roller coaster thing there. Or another flume. It's like right. one of them was a Fire Mountain was a roller coaster, and Villain Mountain was like a flume ride with villains. There was and, rumor uh, too that that it would become sort of not just Ariel's Grotto that they were going to rework it into an aerial attraction too. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if it was a sub or not or something, but that well, they I had that designed that. Uh, it's not exactly what what you see today, but the clamshell vehicle uh, is in the in the Little Mermaid's. Uh, I want to say the 25th anniversary edition that they put out of the DVD. That's right. Had That's had right. the whole mm-hmm. ride design that they had drawn up in like 1990 yeah um that that you know that aerial what ultimately became ariel's underwater adventure whatever it's called now has been there you know it's been on the drawing board for 20 years right yeah so so if you time this i was was gonna say you you time this closing with toad's closing you know toad could have stayed Pooh could have been built right where oh absolutely could could have been built Pooh could have been even even as it was that that whole chunk of land over there was just sitting there they could have very easily built mr or they could have kept mr toad where it was and built the winnie the pooh attraction and still had land left over oh with right. tons to spare as we talked about uh, three three point eight uh, the other thing that's funny is i ran across uh, an article in um i think it was march 3rd 1996 of the orlando sentinel where uh then uh walt disney world president al weiss says unequivocally that the subs are coming back uh in 96 and uh there might be some changes to the show uh and some new technology and some surprises but like the the subs were the subs are definitely coming back and then they they didn't <laughs> they didn't now so. how you you mentioned when they when they bulldozed it and how that you know we talked about how the the, the lagoon <laughs> sat there for 10 years and then you know it's gone in 2004 and then that piece of land sat there for such a long period of time before wow. we, we got the new fancy land that we know today. Yeah. Um, what I find very interesting about it, and I don't know if you've found any research or any truth to this, 
Um, through all the satellite pictures, it seems to be true. I don't know if there's a reason for it. The very back corner and left part and some parts of the original 20,000 Leagues building were actually left standing. Um, and if you look at the satellite photos, especially in 2005, you'll notice that the footprint and there's a, there's a, more specifically, even 2007, it's where the building was is a giant grassy field and there are concrete walls of the original building left. Now, the rumor that I heard was that that was purposefully left up because that if you then started to add on to that it would be a modification of the building and the permits and all the other different things that went with it and tax code who knows what um would then be either potentially grandfathered or lower or what have you but that was one of the reasons and if you you know if you look at where the little mermaid building is you look at the length of it you look at the back wall uh, you know load up your google earth and go through the timeline and look at it and it's 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 very interesting to see that that wall exists through almost all the construction phase uh, hmm. in one form or another. So there could be a very small corner of the building that was left. I don't know. I had read it years ago somewhere. Um, take it if anybody else knows yeah. about it. We'll have to see if there's like a painting on the wall of Captain Nemo handing the deed to <laughs> to Volcania, to Ariel. You can have my corner of my... Uh, it's it's one of the thingamabubs she has in her, uh, in her, right. her cavern of wonders there, or whatever it is. It's, Take a look at it. it's. It's rather interesting. I, I, I thought that was hmm. so. Yeah, but we should. We should. So if you want to see, yeah. uh, so if you want to, oh, and then the subs. It's like so after it was closed. Like, yeah, where did they go? One of the one of the subs got moved over to uh, to Disney MGM and got put into the water tank. Yeah. And they only cut. They only cut back to the first dorsal fin, if you will. Right, yeah. the remainder mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, it was it was really they just cut the top off and yeah. the first two thirds of the sub. Uh, and then two of them got sent to Castaway Cay and were sunk. Uh, so you could rec- sort of wreck dive around him. And I think there's one of those still there. I read. It's and cast- then a lot of them, the rest of them were just sent out to the sort of a holding area back where the, I think the Asian resort was, no, the Persian resort. Yeah, there, was there were some, well, there were, yeah, there were some back there at the boat yard in the, uh, you yeah. know, right back where they had all the Magic Kingdom watercraft, uh, oh, all okay. the Bay Lake and Seven Seas Lagoon watercraft. There was a, one or two of them back there. And then, of course, they dug the one out for the race a couple weeks ago. Did you? And what else? Oh, and then, of course, they, they stripped it for parts and they sold for a while. D- Disney directly actually sold like the seats <laughs> and the. Uh, it's the like portals. ransom. I'll send him back. Yeah, a it really piece is. Of time. Look what we <laughs> look what we did. You get to hang this on your wall and cry every morning when you wake up. So, in, yeah. So so the other parts of the legacy are in Euro Disney. There is a, uh, a walkthrough version. Uh, very similar to the one that was in Disneyland, um, but a, a full rebuild where you uh, it looks like you're walking down to a, into a Nautilus that's uh, parked out in the lagoon, but you're actually going. Yeah, to when, it, when, when you're in Disneyland Paris, uh, the park there does not have Tomorrowland. It has Discoveryland, which is uh, themed kind of a Jules Verne 20th century or turn of the century steampunk kind of view of the future. So they have a they have a Space Mountain there. And in the lagoon that surrounds Space Mountain off to the side, between actually Space Mountain and uh, the, the speedway there, uh, there's a there's a walkthrough attraction. Uh, we were there this summer, and uh, you walk across a bridge, and you step down into the Nautilus, and you can kind of walk through it. And uh, But very nicely staged. It's, it's very beautiful, uh, as everything in Disneyland Paris is. Um, yep, and then uh, in Tokyo, there's a, uh, a dry for wet uh 
20,000 leagues under the sea ride, which I, I JT just made me gave me this funny look. So, so dry for wet is a, uh, is a film technique, which, uh, which also goes here. So in, instead of actually being filled with water, you're inside of a, of a vehicle. And then there's actually like water in the porthole that you look through and then lighting techniques that, that makes it look as if you're underwater, but actually you're just moving around in a, in a, yeah, basically. If yep. they had done, if they had done little mermaid attraction that way, that might've been a little more interesting. Yeah, it could be even cooler. Yeah. So uh, that way oh, Brian can feel like he's really going underwater. I do feel like I'm going underwater. Oh, he does. You're oh, the one shattering the illusions for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And actually, the one thing I did fail to mention about like looking out on the rocks, there's one of the things that I really loved about uh, about 20K, and I think a lot of other people did, is when you would, when you would look out in the lagoon over to the rocks on the far side, uh, there were these seagulls, these audio animatronic seagulls. There's like some in nests and then some standing there that would just kind of stand out and move their heads. And people were absolutely convinced that they were real. Like I see. you would see people sitting there and stare at them. There, people would be debating each other uh, whether or not they were real things, and uh, that was just a, just a real neat little touch. Uh, which apparently that was another thing that Tony Baxter added when he he came in in '75 and and made his changes. Well, guys, I think that about wraps it up for Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Um, I certainly missed the attraction. I know not everybody has been fond of it over the years, and and despite its slow load, gassy fumes, and and uh, uh, constant din and, and potential for disaster. I mean, so how as always, I appreciate your research and everything. And it was a, certainly a trip down memory lane for me. And, and so as always, we like to talk a little bit about the merchandise that we offer you, which is on our shop, which is uh, retro WDW.com forward slash support us. We've got all sorts of designs and t-shirts and Lake and Lagoon shirts. Uh, we've got the the uh, Tom Nabby Grabber shirt, and we've got the Nunes Wave Machine, and, and our famous electrical dragon uh, or serpent shirt. Um, how do you have something new for this month? I know you you were working on it. You were showing yes, us something though. We do. Well, this this is this is January still, hopefully, yep. and uh, January fifteenth, which for us was yesterday, but for all of you it will be last week. Because we do some sort of weird time traveling thing here, right. I suppose, was the uh, the debut of uh, in 1975. Speaking of 75, since we love the 70s here, of uh, of Tomorrowland, the the new right. Tomorrowland, the final finished Tomorrowland. And uh, as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, one of my very favorite things in uh, in Tomorrowland was the Home of Future Living. So, uh, so we are doing a Home of Future Living tribute shirt. Uh, and and that's what we'll have new for this month. Nice, nice. So that will be up on our shop. Uh, we got that art. We'll get that artwork over to Mr. JT Couser, and he'll he'll get that up on the shop and get that loaded up. And uh, as mentioned earlier in our uh, audio rewind, we're giving away the pins. Uh, so don't forget to enter through that. If you'd like to purchase the pins, they're available at retrowdw.com forward slash pins. And as always, all the proceeds uh, go right back to. Uh, this podcast keeping it on the air uh as well as uh, helping us restore films and um speaking of films uh, guys you know we should probably mention since since our last episode we released the uh big thunder mountain point of view footage which was a it was a big success you guys saw that yes everybody's nodding yes yes uh and we also released the uh, river country footage which had some very rare point of view footage on the uh on the water slides and uh yeah yeah uh, they mm-hmm. were quite a beast to re- to restore and get color corrected. Yeah, we really have to give oh. you props there. Uh you you 
you sequestered yourself away in the retro WDW <laughs> labs for weeks, uh, frame by frame, trying to restore some of those sections. They were, you know, I wouldn't have normally I wouldn't put that much time into them, but um, because the scenes were so off, I couldn't do a general color correction that looked good. So uh, appreciate the nod. I'm, I hope that everybody enjoyed it. So um, we've got some other great films coming soon that uh, aren't as weren't as in poor condition, but they're going to get uh, slightly similar treatment. And then we have uh, we're sending off to the queue uh, for digital transfer. We've got about oh six seven different films, and we also recently uh, it's 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 in shipment. It's in transit. Procured a very interesting sixteen millimeter film from an attraction of years ago, which uh, kind of has to deal with nineteen seventy five. Wouldn't you say how? Oh, I can't wait for yeah, this to come this, out. This is yeah. oh. this would be footage that was used in an actual attraction. So. Right. This is unused and footage. It down, right? A little bit. Yep. Yep. It's it's it was unused sixteen millimeter footage that would have been projected in an attraction. So we have our we've got that and we'll get that converted and out to you. But with that said, thank you very much for your patronage and, and uh, continued support of Retro WDW Podcast. As always, if you can give us a shout out on iTunes, uh, feel free to write us at any questions and comments at podcast at retro And uh, guys, anything else before we sign off? Should- pick a topic for next yes month? we should oh you got ideas yes Brian? we're going to go back to epcot center yeah. yes and i'm going to give you a choice because cho- right. we're going to take the wait is this do we all get to pick one image we're going ways? to take Whoa. the yes oh that's that, a- yes we're going to take the one episode challenge can we in one episode cover either horizons or spaceship earth our listeners right now are looking for something to press in front of them to press that hororizons i'm not giving a third option like you had in horizon so that's fine two blinking lights i'll give you my my answer and i'll tell you why you don't have to explain your answer i want to though because i feel like if you do horizons in one episode all you horizon nuts are gonna freak (laughs) out if we only do it in one episode they want like a six-part epic book on tape about the whole thing i i have to agree with that which that's fine. Oh. Hey, you do your and horizon we'll have, thing. We'll have Hoot Gibson on for that one too. Yeah, so that's gonna. So be I'm gonna say Spaceship Earth, not because I want the epic Horizons episode, but because I'm gonna just respect the listener. Go ahead. So right. Spaceship Earth is my vote. How 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 you you go ahead? I I think we can because so much of Spaceship Earth has stayed the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, I think we can cover Spaceship Earth in its original. Uh, mm-hmm. It's many incarnations. I, and as you mentioned for Horizons, we'd like to get Hoot on, talk to him again, talk a little yep. bit about his adventures, and uh, you know I probably want to say to Brian, I don't know if we can do it. <laughs> if we if we did World of Motion in two, Horizons might take two and three quarters. I don't well, know. Well, World of Motion uh, did get us that that one negative iTunes review for not being fast paced enough. You know, it was two <laughs> years detailed. ago. But- <laughs> too detailed well all I right kinda, so let's, i was kind of hoping we'd pick spaceship earth well there we go there we go so the answer that was a grand and miraculous decision on your part thank the phoenicians that's right <laughs> so folks we'll take you back next month to spaceship earth and until then thanks all again as always for your support and uh brian take us out
Follow Todd McCartney and Retro Disney World on Twitter and Instagram at RetroWDW. On Facebook at Retro Disney World. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, you can find our producer, Jason Bartell from Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, at GoAwayGreen. For JT Couser, at LS1JT. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, at Brian P. Miles. Position, exit out the rear hatch, the rear hatch.